welcome back, everybody. It's time again for another episode of Church Hurts and the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today with a dash of recovery thrown in along the way. If you've ever had questions about the church, maybe become a bit jaded in your attitudes towards religion in general, then you've come to the right place. Our host, well, as you know, he was an honors philosophy student, then ordained a Presbyterian minister, and planted three churches along the way. Also taught at a prestigious university and was a teaching pastor at one of those mega churches we all know about. He even served as an executive coach for a while, but now, now he's just an aging curmudgeon who never quits asking the one question on all our minds. Why? Why not? Let's bring him in, the host of Church Hurts and Dr. John Bash. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Paul. It's just a box. You're filling out that form for anything, and you know it's going to be there. Married, single, divorced, widowed, just, just a box. For some, it's a simple check mark. For many others, that box represents pain, agony, stories, dashed hopes, abuse, betrayal, stereotypes. Why do you care about my marital status? I'm me. Not married me or divorce me or single me, just me. Okay, let's add church into the equation. That ought to help. This healing institution which gives us the gospel and hope for the world, surely they will do a better job with this issue, right? Really? You know the stories. The person who hasn't been to church for years and she goes into a pretty building she's considering using for her wedding to ask about the details. How do we make this happen? Well, are you a member? To what church do you belong what about your fiance? You're Catholic? You're planning on marrying a Jew? Have you gone through our premarital class? Are you having premarital sex? Are you planning to raise your children in the church? I'm so tempted to launch into a rant on this issue right now. But instead, I'm going to bring in one of my favorite people in the world. And I know he's a ranter as well. Hundreds of people. Every week, come to hear this man's advice about marriage and singleness and faith. He's the host of the podcast, Relationship Essentials 2.0, has been the pastor for singles and relationships in numerous churches, including Orange County's Mariner's Church back in the day, now from Sacramento. Let me bring on Michael Baggett. Welcome, Michael, to Church Hurts and. Oh, great. Thanks, John. It's great to be here with you guys. Hey, after that introduction, Michael, I bet you want to keep going. I mean, I know churches, <laughs> I know churches tick you off. Why? Well, yeah, that's that. That is a a pretty raw introduction. I really like that. Um, <laughs> you know, I I do love the church. I was raised. Well, I wasn't raised. You know, I I I didn't come to faith until I was thirty three years old. This, you know, it wasn't. I I wasn't raised in the church at all. Um, but, uh, I was living in Southern California. I had money coming out my ears, my Mercedes, my BMW, my Corvette, my truck, my boat, my house on, uh, the bluffs in Costa Mesa. And I was miserable. And I, I literally, 
I went home and said, God, I, I, I have everything the world says that I need to be happy, but I'm miserable. So I give you my life. And the next day, a girl that I had slept with met her in a bar. We had slept together for a few months and uh, she called me out of the blue and said, Hey, we're going to go to this seminar called finding the Holy spirit. Do you want to come? And I went and, and I, I discovered this God who created the heavens and the earth. And it was really, really beautiful. Um, so I, for me, the church was alive and it was refreshing and, and, you know, um, I well, met now, what, now what was her, what was her name? No, her I'm name kidding. Her, no, don't you dare. <laughs> I, I, I would tell, I would say her name. Her name is Elsa and she's, she is a really, really be- a beautiful, wonderful person. But, um, you know, to me, the, the church meant new life. I mean, again, I, I had everything the world says that I needed to be happy, but I was completely miserable. I basically had, I, you know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to become a quote religious person because I was afraid I was going to have to give up drinking and country music and smoking weed and sleeping around and all of this stuff. And I realized I wasn't really giving up anything. I actually gained a whole lot by by recognizing that there was a God who actually created the heavens and the earth. He actually made me, he thought about me and made me for a reason. And once I discovered that reason, that purpose, I mean, life just was fantastic. I wound up selling my Corvette. I sold my Mercedes. I sold my BMW. I kept my boat and my truck, of course. But, um, you know, wound up moving out of the house uh, the, in the, coast, the bluffs in Costa Mesa. And I, I rented a room. And, but I'll tell you what, man, I was happy as could be. So church, so, so church doesn't hurt. Church was the answer. Church was the answer. There and you then, go. And then, and then I, I met you, and uh, <laughs> and that's when it started to hurt. No, 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 I'm just kidding, John. You, you know, John. I know, you know, you know uh, what, you know. We just go way back, and that's when church was alive, and it was missional. It was perfect. It was just great. Um, what happened was uh, after you and I kind of departed. You know, I became a pastor, and I um, I was serving in mega churches for many years, and I got to see the inside of the church. I got to see what I would like to call the institutional church. There's a difference. I think people think about the church as a place you go, you you sing, listen, leave, and you went to church. Well, if you if you worked in a church, you see the institution behind what everybody else sees, and that became very distasteful to me. Um, you know, you know, Michael, I, I used to um, tell people when I'd uh, hire assistants, I, I used to say, uh, as I'd interview them, that if your faith isn't really, really strong, don't take this position because you're going to see the dirt. Yeah. So you started to see the dirt, right? Yeah. So what, so what, what did you see? I mean, what was so dirty? What annoys you so much now about churches? Yeah, well, I, 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 just, I do have to say, I still believe that in a large part, the local church still is the hope of the world. I really do believe that. But it's just like anything. It's like uh, you start your own business, and you start your own business with a passion to do something, to submit, to make a product or to serve someone. And then your business grows. And the next thing you know, you're way more involved in administration and purchasing and orders and all of this stuff. And, and it's, it's no longer about the passion. It's about the logistics and the details of, and the, the, the institutional part of running a business. And I think that's what happens to a lot mm-hmm. of churches. And I, to me, 
the reason the church meant so much to me, and this, this is the day I met you. I was living, basically, I was a single person when I came to faith. All my friends were living in lifestyle that I was trying to leave. So I went to this singles group called Focus on Friday night at South Coast Community Church where you worked. And I walked into that room for the very first time, and I was warmly, genuinely, authentically greeted by a bunch of people just like me. I thought, I'm going to go to a singles ministry. They're going to be desperate and dateless. They're going to be weirdos. They're just going to be creepy people. And it was just the most normal, life-giving bunch of people I had ever met in my life. And then after I met them, a few minutes later, you know, I met you, and you taught, and you, and it was really that was the most life-giving thing I had ever experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and matter of fact, years later, I actually met my wife there. Um, and we, you know, we got married um, as a result of that ministry. I've got, you know, my wife had three children at the time when we met. Okay, wait, let me stop you. Let me stop you. Because that's, that's another part of the story. I want to come back there. Yeah. But let's just even talk about that context. It was at that time, I think the largest church in Orange County, it had the advantage of being able to have groups for every affinity. We called them affinity groups. Yeah. And you had, you know, and so you had singles and you had married and and church was growing so fast back in those days that you could have put up a sign, you know, for people who wear yellow shirts on Wednesday and it would have been a large group. But, but why is it? If you think about a smaller church, I mean, they were struggling because they they didn't have enough people to have all these different affinities broke up. But why do we have to designate people into all these categories? Is it that important? And why do we do it based on marital status? As if, you know, someone's like, oh, but I feel weird because now I'm 40 or I'm divorced. Why do we have to do that? Aren't people just people? Yeah, you know, I, that's a great question. I think that the reason being is because there's a commonality. If you're a singer, single, you share a lot. Like, for example, I do a large singles ministry here called Bridges. And people come from over 40 different churches, and about 40% of the church, for about 40% of the people, don't even go to any church on a regular basis at all. But we have one thing in common, and I, not me. I say we because I'm part of that group. We're all single. We're all single. We can relate to one another. We we go on hikes together and we go dancing together and we go do it. We love Jesus, but we do a little drinking too, you know. But um, we there, we just share life together that way. And it's I think and for I do also do something for married couples. And uh, again, in married couples, you know, the thing about being married, uh, the groups that I do, about ninety eight percent of them are remarried, and they really want to get it right. They really want to get it right. So um, we found that helping married couples, especially if they're remarried, connect with other remarried couples, It re- they can encourage one another, support one another. They can share life together, have dinners together, do events, go on vacations together. And so it really helps to build the unity and the strength and the joy in those marriages. Isn't it nice? I mean, you know, just to turn off my cynical hat for a second, isn't it nice that the church really has done a good job in the last number of decades not alienating people anymore because of those marital categories? Remember, you used to be remarried or divorced. You were stigmatized in a way. Now I see you looking at me. Not so, huh? 
Yeah, I, it's really, it's still, it really, um, no, you're right. If people are remarried and they're in church, it's fine. It's when they're going through a divorce that people have trouble. It's uh, if they're divorced or they're going through a divorce or they're separated, that's when the church just doesn't really know what to do with that. Okay, and so let's let's just tie this together then. Okay, having admitted you're a lush and you drink, we can't do recovery about drinking, but you do recovery, and you know I'm kidding. Um, um, I know you drink properly when you drink, um, but um, I like I use a straw. There was a time I didn't. That's right. <laughs> but but you actually you know recovery quite well because yes, you met your wife in divorce recovery, right? No, actually. I met, my wife, I met my wife at in singles ministry, the singles ministry that you ran. Now, what I had left before, uh, like as I came to faith, I gave up drugs and weed and heavy drinking. I didn't do that through recovery. I actually, my recovery was that singles ministry. And the point of that was, and, and this, is, this is where I want to just really quickly, the reason that meant so much was because of the relationships that I found there. I'm telling you, that group became my family. Like within two or three weeks, I felt like they were closer than my family. My family lived in Texas. I was in Southern California. My extended family was in Michigan and Kansas. But I was in Southern California by myself. And those people in that singles ministry were closer to me than anybody that I knew. I mean, it was instant friendship. Those relationships were strong. So my beef, my only significant beef about the church as we know it today is that the institutional church has become this thing where you go to for an hour, hour and a half, you sing, listen, leave, and you go home. So what I do is through bridges, through Principles to Live By is the name of our nonprofit. It's called Principles to Live By. And that's where we do singles ministry. We do married life ministry. We, I do counseling and coaching. I help people move. We do handiwork for people. We do whatever it takes. We want to be there Monday through Saturday for people where real life happens. Happens. Hey, look, you can go to church on Sunday, but we got you Monday through Saturday. And that's the part that I saw is really genuinely missing in church these days. So I'm going to just put you, I mean, it is amazing the stuff you do, but I mean, if people don't live near you, reality is that there are some churches really doing a good job yes. with getting people reestablished. And I, I think what I when I associate you with single parents is because you ended up leading that group when, when I was going out the other door. Um, but let's, let's talk about the mixed marriages part too, though, with churches, because that's what really messes people up. I mean, how do you deal with the fact that these different churches, almost all of them have rules about not marrying, first of all, in terms of religions in general, not just within Christianity, virtually every religion in the world has something that says don't marry somebody of a different one. And uh, man, we could talk about the reasons for that for a long time. But within the Christian church, you have the same thing. When I was growing up, I remember, oh, uh, certainly a Protestant didn't marry a Catholic. I remember how hard it was figuring <laughs> out what a Protestant was and uh, how, how a Protestant was different than a Presbyterian and a Lutheran. And uh, We won't get down that track, but you know, what the heck? Is that annoying? Two people want to get married, and, and now the, the church is saying, yeah, but you got to run through, jump through all these hoops. Why do they do that? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's it's a place where I live quite frequently. Um, I'm in Northern California, and I have this reputation. I didn't ask for it. It just it is what it is. 
several pastors in the area, difficult situation between a husband and a wife. They say, oh, you need to call Michael. A lot of couples will call me. They say, Michael, we've tried a therapist. We've tried a lawyer. We tried a bartender. We tried a th pharmacist. It didn't work. We're, we need to talk to you. We've, we've heard, okay, so I'm kind of a last-ditch effort for a lot of people. Well, here's the rub on that question, and that is that a lot of times that people of different faiths, faith is like a foundation, and when you're trying to build a single union, when you're trying to build a single, like a oneness where when man and woman become one, when you're trying to build that kind of singularity on two different foundations, sooner or later, it gets, it's very, very difficult. It may be good the first year, second year, five years, seven years. But you know what? When I first started with you 25 years ago, you know, it wasn't uncommon for people to be divorced after five, seven, 10 years now. And then 10 years ago, it wasn't uncommon for people to be divorced after 20, 25 years. Now it's not uncommon for people to be divorced after 30, 35 years. And part and a lot, a huge part of that is because two people built their lives on two different foundations and they worked their whole life to try to make one. And it just, it just didn't happen. So in my opinion, uh, having a common faith will really help you to build that kind of unity on a single singular, um, you know, foundation that will last forever. You know, I'm going to just throw a little bomb into this. I think you don't think the Bible's some antiquated book that doesn't have wisdom for today. You know, what's, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, uh, I think that my, um, that's a great question. What I have learned is that if we would teach the Bible properly, correctly, we wouldn't find all the legalism in there that we've been taught all these years. I hate, I'll say it out loud, I hate, hate with a passion legalism. And if you're not sure what legalism is, legalism is, listen, here, here's the bottom line. Jesus never came to start a religion. I don't care what you think. I don't care what anybody says. Jesus never came to start a religion. He came to end religion. Jesus hated religion. He, he called was a Presbyterian, Michael. He... <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with Somebody you? Somebody lied to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he actually called the religious leaders of the day sons of hell. I mean, he hated religion. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to end it. And what Jesus was often speaking about was the, the religious oppression that was put on people where they weren't free to know God the God who created them. Mm -hmm. And so when we teach the Bible properly in a, in a way that's relevant and applicable, you'll actually find it's really good for us because God created me just like I gave birth, my wife and I gave birth to our son. We know what's good for him and we know what's not. And God is the same way. So, you know, but when we teach it wrong, it, it doesn't make sense. Nobody wants to follow legalism. I don't want you to tell me how to live my life. I want you to tell me my purpose. And I want you to get, I want to, I want you to teach me about values that would make my life more meaningful. And I, I want to determine how I'm going to live my life with good values. You know, tell me a story before we go Yeah, that, you know, we were talking earlier and I know there's a story in your mind that really, uh, maybe can wrap us up pretty good here. Okay. So, um, I get an email from this church it was a guy, uh, sweet guy. Uh, he's in law enforcement. He writes this church and he is begging for help. 
He is um, doing everything. He's crying out, reaching out to try to save his seven-year marriage with two kids. You can tell he's desperate. You can tell he's very humbled. And this church forwards this email to me, and they told him, you really need to talk to Michael. So I read the email, and immediately I'm going, this ain't going to work. Well, they're both, quote, Christian people, right? And uh, I call him. uh, We set up a meeting. And immediately from the first meeting, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, this isn't going to happen. Bottom line was, it was pretty evident that he, you know, we've heard of um, battered woman's syndrome. Well, this guy had battered battered man's syndrome. His wife was a, a true, true narcissist and one of the worst I've ever seen. And she was actually a sociopath as well. She had uh, no remorse, no empathy, no ability to relate to him. Mm-hmm. And they're both Christians, so they think they can't divorce. His father and his uh, mother are very religious, almost, well, they're pretty legalistic Christian people. Okay, we get and the picture. It, this is ugly. Oh, yeah. The dad is on the board of, of his church. And so after counseling both him and her and counseling them together, I never said it out loud, but I knew that eventually he was going to have to figure out he's going to have to leave the marriage. There's no way. So once he decided to leave, the parents didn't want to do, have anything to do with him. His Christian parents who sat on the board didn't want to have anything to do with him. He could have lived with them, and that would have allowed him to continue to see his kids, but they didn't want him to even stay at their house. So at one point, he calls me and asks me to uh, talk to his dad because they're just not getting along. And um, at one point, I said, you know, sir, I know that you're talking about a marriage covenant. You're talking about he said I do, she said I do. They're supposed to be one for the rest of their life. But, sir, it is impossible for this man, your son, to keep this covenant with this woman. She is not a covenant keeper. There's no possible way that he can keep this union because there's it's impossible. Well, come on, tell us what happened. So, bottom line was, um, they filed for divorce. I talked to him and I said, you know what, God can do. I talked to the dad and said, God can do miracles, but we shouldn't put him in a situation where he has to. Mm-hmm. You know, God can do miracles in a marriage and a life or whatever, but we shouldn't put him in a situation when he has to. And I just had to help this guy understand that sometimes we marry the wrong person, somebody that, that we should have never married, and we, we expect God to fix it. Well, God isn't going to fix all of our stupid. That's just the reality. And so that's how, that's how people picture the church as being like that man, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and I, so here, quick story, real quick to close this out. They've gone through hell already. They've gone through a year and a half of really expensive stuff. And this this woman, this wife, happens to be a lawyer, so it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> so this 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 guy, my friend, this this former husband meets this girl. Like shortly, their divorce wasn't even final yet, and the father, the legalistic board member, really likes her, and basically endorses his son marrying this girl before his divorce is final and actually told his son to come and talk to me for premarital counseling. I didn't do the premarital counseling until after the divorce was final, until after they were engaged. But we're now in the premarital phase of that. And the whole family is elated because they know this girl and they know that she is a covenant keeper. They, they bo- Everybody feels like they can keep this union together 
And uh, it's just been a phenomenal story, but a rad- radical change. Do you know, unfortunately, because we don't have time and we got to wrap up here, um, you know, people listening to this, there's so much more to the story. You just raised so many things. There's some real strong opinions on all sides yes, of that. Absolutely. But, you know, Michael, you always make me smile. And, and of course, you're wrong about a lot of things, you know, uh-huh. but, you, but you nailed it on the head um, with some others. And it's been fun watching you grow over the years and even more fun seeing how many people you've helped. You don't seem to have a lot of preconditions on where someone is in their faith journey to accept them into your life. And man, that's what we want the church to be. I'm reminded of creation as we talk about this subject. Many of us know the story told in Genesis where God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Now, I know you scientific types listening to this want to go off on a bunny trail about creation and evolution in 24-hour days, et cetera, et cetera. But calm yourself for one minute to hear my point. God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. He created light and darkness, and it was good. He created the animals, good. Trees, good. But then, then God created man, male and female. He created them. And was it good? No, it was very good. Now, some of you may doubt that if you're in the, in the midst of divorce oh, or you're angry for some reason at the opposite sex, but, you know, you just wonder, really? Was that really brought about by the marvel of creation? Oh, yeah, it was. And then we read only a chapter into the Bible that God gave marriage. Marriage was God's idea, maleness and femaleness and all the wonders of intimacy. Yep, God's to blame and to thank. While most of us have done a pretty good job muddying those waters, and the church sure hasn't helped a lot of times, we are thankful today for those like Michael who help us navigate gender waters, do enjoy and realize that we have a relational God and we are relational creatures. Know today, in the middle of this virus called corona, there are a lot of people out there in churches praying and planning to help you in this relationally needy world. And remind someone today, life is better for you today because of them. And it's worth a thought. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Enjoy God today, won't you? And with that, we end another episode of Church Hurts and leaving us as always a lot to think about. If you'd like to continue the conversation with Michael, Simply go to his website, ptlb. That's ptlb.com. And if you want to continue or pick up a conversation with Dr. John Bash, he's a shepherd with Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to caring for pastors and Christian leaders at risk of leaving their ministries too early. You can find out more at John's work at standingstoneministry.org. Standingstoneministry.org. Be sure and come back next week as we look at transitions. Think about that, all the transitions in your life. 
And we'll see how the church tackles some of those, rightly or wrongly. See you then on Church Hurts.